All right, good evening. So I want to start off tonight by talking about Rivka for a few minutes, Rebecca, the wife of Isaac Yitzchak, and, uh, and <clears throat> go from there. We're going to talk again more about Yitzchak as we did last week, trying to build on what we started last week. So if you have your source sheet, we're going to go right there. So as I mentioned last week, one Torah portion basically deals with the life of, of Yitzchak after, besides for his appearance by the Akeda, the binding of Isaac, the, the, which is at the end of Vayera. So, so then Chayesara, basically that parsha has the, 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 the events where Avraham seeks a wife for Yitzchak, but Yitzchak really doesn't show up much until the end. Um, in that parsha, we don't learn too much about Yitzchak. It's in the following parsha, Toldos, where we start to learn about Yitzchak. And all that we talked about last week was really from Toldos, where we talked about his digging wells and going, not going down to Egypt, and you know, following in his father's footsteps in many ways. So, so at the beginning, very beginning of Toldos is when he, he and uh, and his wife Rivka. They pray for children and God answers their prayers or his prayers, as we'll see. Um, and they have their twins, Yaakov and Esav, Jacob and Esau. So we're going to look at just the very first verse for now. Um, the first verse on our page, I think it's like it's a few verses in, in that Torah portion. So we're Beratius chapter 25, verse 20. And Isaac was 40 years old and he took Rebekah, the daughter of Besuel, the Aramean, of Padang Aram, that's where he was from, the sister of love on the Aramean, to himself for a wife. So it tells us that Yitzchak was married to Rivka, Rebecca, and it tells us also exactly who her family was and where she was from. Now, Rashi is bothered because we already know where she's from. We met her last portion. We had a whole story with the servant of Abraham going and meeting with her family and and bringing her back and we know exactly who she is and where she's from so rashi comments the daughter of basul the aramean of Aram, the sister of Lavan, was it not already written that she was the daughter of basul and the sister of Lavan and from Padang Aram? why why does the torah need to repeat this don't we already know it so rashi answers based on the midrash this is to tell her praise the purpose of going into detail once again of who she was where she was from is actually to praise her that she was the daughter of a wicked man and the sister of a wicked man and her place was inhabited by wicked people, but she did not learn from their deeds. So the Torah wants to stress for us exactly and remind us again where she, who she, who her parents were, who her brother was, where she was from, to remind us just of her, her great, uh, her, her great virtue that, uh, she did not come from good stock. She came from a wicked family, and yet she herself was uh, was very righteous. And this is to to the this is in order to praise her. Now the Maharal, in his commentary to Rashi, his super commentary, as we call it, his commentary on the commentary. So he wonders still that uh, you know it goes into quite an amount of detail, like what. If you want to tell me that she came from bad stock, maybe it would suffice to just say that she was the daughter of Besuel and stop there. 
but is what is being added at each step. She was the daughter of Basul, and not only that, but she was the sister of Lavan, and not only that, but she was from Padang Aram. What is added by each of these details? So the Maral says that, <clears throat> that what the Torah is trying to show us here and the Midrash by, by, by highlighting this is that there's different ways that a person can be influenced by their surroundings. So one way is if somebody that we respect or that we fear uh, lives a certain way, teaches us a certain way, so then we are we may end up following in their ways for, for better or for worse. And that was her father. That was Besuel, even though she would have feared him. And perhaps as a result of that, you know, got into line with his ways, his idolatry, whatever else he was up to. Um, you know, the, according to the Midrash, he tried to kill the servant Eliezer. So, you know, definitely not, uh, not the finest of individuals. And yet, despite that, she is not influenced by him. And then there's other influences, like by, by love. And in a certain way, one of the strongest influences is, is sibling love, the closeness of siblings. And so we might, you know, even if she wasn't influenced by her, her father, but maybe she would have been influenced by her brother, by the closeness of a brother and a sister. And to that, the Torah says, no, despite that, she was not influenced even by her brother. And then a person could be influenced not from fear, not from love, but just from sort of the natural um, impression, the natural influence of the society around us. The, the Rambam, Maimonides, has a um, quite an astounding uh, statement where he, he, I mean, it shouldn't really be so astounding, but it's very important that he writes that it's natural for a person to become influenced by their surroundings. And therefore, it's so important to surround ourselves with good people because we are bound to be influenced and it's, it's human nature. And actually overcoming that is quite a task. You have to go against human nature to overcome it. And, and that was, that's what the Torah is stressing when it tells us about the society she was from. She was from Padang Aram, not, not a righteous society. And again, despite that, she's not influenced by their surroundings. <laughs> and, uh, and it's important, the Rambam really, when he writes about this, he's stressing the importance of being aware of this. And, and the Rambam says, you know, if, you're, if you live amongst people who have a bad influence, you should move, you should go somewhere else. And to the point, I think, where he says that if you can't, if you can't get away, you should like become a hermit, you know, go off on, on your own so that you're not influenced. But, uh, but it's important to realize just how how much of, of, of our surroundings, of our society, seeps into our psyche and, and shapes us. And it's important to choose really carefully what we, what we, um, what we avail, avail ourselves to, what we open up ourselves to. Um, so, because everything has the potential to, to influence us. But, but Rivka, is not influenced. Rivka somehow manages to, uh, to overcome this. And that's what the Torah is bringing out when it describes exactly who she was from and where she was from to show us her praise that she was able to overcome these influences. Now, what is a, what is a way that we can, we can think about this and also for ourselves recognize that there are influences that, that in society that, that may not be um, positive for us, 
for, 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 you know, for, for good Jewish boys and girls. And, uh, and what do we do to, to overcome that? So, so one, one approach, which is, um, which is expressed in a letter written by the Chazon Ish, Rabbi Avram Yeshaya Karelitz, um, who was a great, uh, a great leader of the Jewish people in Israel in the like 30s, 40s, 50s. Um, he wrote in a letter to actually to, to outreach workers, you know, that, the, that, that don't worry, you're not going to be influenced, you know, even if you're reaching out to secular people and they may pull you away. He says, no, you, you don't have to worry. Because as long as you realize that you are an influencer, so, so that, that, that provides protection. And the, the, the last thing is important for all of us as Jews, that if we realize, if we recognize that really we have what to show the world, we have what to teach people from our own conduct and our own outlook and perspective, which we get from Torah study, from the Torah, from God, so then we, that, that provides protection for us from those influences that as long as we can have that perspective, that, that we really have something to teach the world more than that the world has to teach us. Of course, we can learn from anything, you know, who is wise, somebody who can learn from anyone, but at the same time, we have to also be able you know, have a filter and, uh, and realize that ultimately it's, it's, it's the Torah that is the source of the greatest wisdom, godly wisdom, and that we have something to teach the world more than the, that the world has to teach us. And that, that is a protection against uh, societal pressures, the uh, sort of whatever, you know, some people just get consumed by whatever people are saying in, in society, but, but that's not where we get our morals and our, and, and our, um, what, what, what we place as primary and important is not from there. It's from our own tradition. And if we view ourselves as, as teachers, as influencers, so that can provide a protection. That is, that is Rivka at the beginning already when, we're, when it, it describes her relationship with, with Yitzchak as, as his wife, but it also says that she, where she came from and that she was able to overcome those, uh, those pressures and those influences to become very righteous. So turning back to, to Yitzchak now, we started to build on the defining character traits of Yitzchak last week, <clears throat> as opposed to Abraham, where we talked about how Abraham excelled in the attribute of chesed, of acts of kindness, and he was always running to do kindness, and definitely a people person, and a major influencer, while Yitzchak was different, Yitzchak was maybe a little bit more contained, not as active, not as active in, 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 in outreach. And we learned that Yitzchak's primary attribute was described in different ways, but, but what Jacob or his son Yaakov describes as pachad Yitzchak, the fear of Yitzchak. Yitzchak lived constantly with the fear of heaven in front of him, with an awareness, a constant awareness that he was standing before God and every decision that he made was weighed with that awareness. And therefore he was very careful about what he did because he was that was constantly on his mind and everything was, was, you know, is this the right thing to do? Is it not? And, and because of that, we learned, we said that he really in many ways stuck to following in his father's footsteps in many ways and in life decisions that he was influenced by, by his own, trait of 
fear of fear of God. Is this the right thing to do? And what that actually lends itself to is the attribute of givura, of might and of constraint, of the ability to, uh, to, 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 or restraint, to restrain ourselves from acting, to hold back, to consider. And uh, in, in many cases, that was how Avraham was tested. Avraham excelled in, in acts of kindness, but God tests him with sort of the opposite. Can he restrain himself? Can he hold himself back when called upon? Yitzchak was a master of restraint, of holding himself back, of constantly living with that, that awareness that he's walking before God, that fear of heaven, and that affected him in all aspects of his life. As, we, as we're saying, Avraham, we know, experienced 10 tests, and many of them related to challenging him on his own trait, the, own tra the trait that he had developed within himself of just being a master of kindness. So he's challenged on that because it's not always the right thing to do to be what we think is kind, you know, because kindness to one person could be not kind to another person. It could be not kind to ourselves. And, uh, and, and, and we have to know how to balance that. And so Avraham is challenged. Can he restrain his kindness when called upon? Yitzchak's attribute is that itself. It's restraint. It is, it is, uh, it is the ability to, to hold himself back. So, and and the the other way that uh, and 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 his attribute is 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 fear of heaven, constant fear of heaven. There's another word that 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 is used to describe um, to describe Yitzchak's attribute, which which is din, which means justice, um, and. And I suppose it, it falls in where like things are fit into place. They're the way they're they're where they should be. Everything is is just. Everything is judged. God is God is constantly watching over everything. And uh, and and so Yitzchak's test is would seemingly it would make sense if it was on that attribute. When we learn about Yaakov, we're going to see that Yaakov is described as a man of truth. But as I mentioned last week, I think, you know, when, when we learn about his life, we're going to see that he's constantly challenged actually on, on really to go against himself. He, he's, his, his, his attribute is, is MS, his truth, but often he's challenged, can he, can he overcome that? Can he sort of go against that? So when we explore Yaakov, we're going to see that. But it's not as clear with Yitzchak, do we ever see him challenged on his own mida, his own attribute? Do we ever see him challenged on this attribute of, of restraint or of strict justice? Do we ever see that? So, so one idea maybe we could, we could suggest is what we, what we talked about last week was, was that Yitzchak at first was very different than his father in that he wasn't going around and promoting and publicizing God's name. He did not, the Torah many times says about Avraham, and he called out in the name of God. He was all over trying to rally people to the idea of one God, one omnipotent God. Yitzchak, like we said, was more restrained. He held himself back. He perhaps didn't think he was worthy of that. Until later in his life, he said, God reassures him. But maybe that is his one, one way in which he's tested is, Yitzchak, you got to get out there. Stop restraining yourself. Stop holding back. Stop being so fearful and and 
be a little bit more proactive. Again, the, the person who's fearful, they kind of, they, it's, 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 in, it's internal and, and, and they turn towards themselves. They turn towards focusing on themselves. Am I doing the right thing in my relationship with God? Which is a imp very important thing for a person to do. But again, it all has to be with balance. So Yitzchak is challenged. Can you also, you know, look outwards, look beyond yourself and maybe look at the, you know, the, the spiritual state of other people. And, and Yitzchak, we see eventually does go and actually call in the name of God. So maybe that is one way in which he is tested. Well, I, I want to share today and spend really the bulk of this, of tonight's class on, is a, just a deep and fascinating idea from Rebel Yahu Dessler about what was, you know, where do we find that where Yitzchak's own attribute is, is challenged. <clears throat> and Rev Dessler builds up an idea that Yitzchak's attribute is challenged finally when he is going to bless Esav or Yaakov, Jacob. We'll, we'll look into the story about what happens a little bit, but at the end, sort of as he's getting older, he, it's time to bless them. And it's at that moment that we encounter a test to Yitzchak, which tests his own, his own worldview, his own perspective. Can he, can he adjust? And that's really what we're, what we're saying all these tests are about is a person has a certain mida, a certain attribute that drives them. And all these, all these attributes are very important. Whether it's somebody who's driven by kindness, whether somebody is driven by, by fear of heaven, whether somebody is driven by truth, all of these three attributes, uh, each person could be driven by them different, differently, but we have to be able to incorporate the other ones also. And that's where Yitzchak's challenge is going to come. So let's, uh, so let's see a little bit. Um, um, again, this, this, to, to try to understand the, the relationship between might and restraint and, uh, and din, justice, which we're saying is all, all, all ties into Yitzchak. He's, he exercises restraint. He has fear of heaven at all times. And he's insistent on justice, on, on God's justice, really. And they all really boils down. It comes from the fear of heaven. It comes from that, that constant awareness and really nullification of self before God. When somebody um, nullifies themselves before God, so they, they submit themselves, really. That's maybe a better word. Somebody submits themselves before God. They submit themselves to God's ultimate um, justice and to, to, and to really to the ultimate good of a relationship with God, that that's the ultimate good for a person. So, so this is, this is what, what drove Yitzchak. It's this constant fear of heaven, and therefore restraining his actions, and also this, this constant um, awareness and adherence to strict justice insofar as he understood that, that we're dealing with, with, with the master of, 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 of the universe, and, uh, and, and, and we are responsible for our choices. So let's, uh, let's pose a couple of questions. Um, so for starters, why didn't Yitzchak simply do what his father did? Meaning, we we can assume that as as you know these 
as great as, as, as the, the forefathers were, that they were somewhat in control of what, what would drive them. How would they, how, what would be their, the, the source of their life perspective? So Avraham, he looked at things through the, through the lens of acts of kindness. He recognized God's kindness. He emulated it. Yitzchak, his path was different. While he, while he ended up copying, as we said, many of Avraham's choices, but it wasn't driven from the same source. It wasn't because he wanted to always be doing kindness and he didn't necessarily copy those acts. He, uh, he was driven by a different attribute, this attribute of, of fear of heaven, of submission. So why? Why didn't he take the, uh, the same path as, as Yitzchak, as, as Avraham? So let's look for a second at, uh, back at the source sheet, still in source one, verse 21. So, so we mentioned Yitzchak was married to Rivka. And then in verse 21, it says, and Isaac prayed to the Lord opposite his wife because she was barren. So they didn't have children yet. And they prayed. And they each prayed separately. And the Lord accepted his prayer. And Rivka, Rebecca, his wife, conceived. So Rashi is very attuned to the, to the language of the verse. And he notes that it says the Lord accepted his prayer, even though they were both praying. It says the Lord accepted his prayer. So why did the Lord accept his prayer? So Rashi says, but not hers. For the prayer of a righteous man, the song of a righteous man, does not compare to the prayer of a righteous man, the song of a wicked man. Therefore, he accepted his prayer and not hers. So Rashi explains why was his prayer accepted and not hers? Now, it's not that hers couldn't, but just that his was greater than hers. Why was his greater? Because he was a righteous, he was a tzaddik, the song of a tzaddik, a righteous person, the song of a righteous person. While she was a tzaddik, she was a tzaddik, she was also righteous, but she came from wicked stock. Now, hold on a second. Just one verse earlier, we were praising her for coming from wicked stock and not learning from their deeds. And now, all of a sudden, it's like a put down. She wasn't as great as him because she came from, 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 you know, from, from, from Besuel and from that family in that place. So it seems to be a little, little unfair. Not only that, I mean, wouldn't you say that she was greater? Somebody who overcame all of that? Wouldn't you say, in fact, our sages teach us that a place where a Baal Teshuvah, somebody who, 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 has done, who has repented, a place where they stand, even the greatest and most righteous person can't stand. That uh, somebody who, who returns, somebody who is able to, to change themselves, that's even greater than somebody who was doing it the whole time. So, so it's a little bit difficult to understand this Rashi, um, which is actually based on a passage in the Talmud. So it's not his own idea that uh, he was, uh, his prayer was answered because he was righteous, son of, a, of, of the righteous. He was, he, was, he was the son of Abraham and therefore he had greater merit. So how do we understand this? So one way to understand it, Rav Dessler, Quotes from an earlier sage, Rav Simcha Zissel of Kelm, the altar of Kelm, great uh, Musser leader, that, that the way to understand it is as follows. The, the greatness of Yitzchak was that even though he was the son of Avraham, it, it, he didn't just it wasn't just sufficient for him to just do whatever Abraham did. 
So I know, again, we said that, that often he would just do what Avram did. But, but in his development, he wasn't at all doing what Avram did. He was developing himself internally very differently than Avram. He was developing different traits, different midos. He was doing it differently. He wasn't just copying exactly what Avraham did. And the reason for that was, he says, because if he just did exactly what Avraham did, it wouldn't necessarily cut to his core. It wouldn't necessarily be him. You know, you have to, you have to be yourself. You have to grow and work on, 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 on your own potential, on who you could be. And if he was just doing what Abraham did, so then maybe he was just doing it because like that, you know, that's what he grew up doing. But would he have ever internalized it? Make it a part of him? Maybe, maybe not. We have said that, uh, that when a person acts in a certain way, actually they do end up becoming more passionate and internalizing it. But, but, but Yitzchak apparently held differently. He didn't want to do that. He didn't want to just do exactly what his father did because that wouldn't necessarily be him. He wouldn't have necessarily internalized that and, and assimilated the, the, the outlook and the way of his father. Rather, he kind of dug, he dug deep and he, he toiled to develop his own, his own path through a different meta, through a different attribute, which is, which is something very, very difficult and very great. And as we've said a few times, the, the, the forefathers understood that they were creating a nation here. They understood that they were instilling these attributes in their offspring. So Yitzchak says, I'm not going to just do exactly what my father did. I'm going to do something a little bit different. I'm going to develop a different area, a different trait, and pass that on to the, to the future generations. And that says, says the altar of Kalm, of Simcha Zissel, that that was, that's, that's why Yitzchak is being praised for being a tzaddik ben tzaddik, the, 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 a righteous person, the, the child of a righteous person. Not because it's like automatic, you get the merits of, 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 of your father. If your father was righteous, then you're righteous, then, then you get those points, you know, and your prayer gets answered before someone else. No, 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 it's not exactly, that's not all what's going on here. It's actually that he overcame in a certain sense, being the, the, the child of a righteous person. A person grows up, doing you know let's say a person grows up in a religious home so so they just you know you do everything you know what to do and 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 it can really become just rote and and it can lose the meaning while somebody who let's say didn't grow up religious and they start practicing mitzvah later in their life so it might be so much more meaningful for them because it's something that they chose to do and they thought about so so for, for, for someone like Yitzchak, who grew up with it, he, he had been taught it to, 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 to find meaning and to forge his own way, in a sense, he's overcoming something. And that's what, that's what the, 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 the Torah is praising here. That's what, what he's being credited for. And therefore, he merited to have his prayer answered because he had, he had sort of overcome his being from the being the child of Avram, not just doing whatever Avram did, which would come, which could become rote. It could become, it could be automatic. It could be that he wouldn't internalize that. So rather, he developed within himself something, something meaningful and something important to pass on to future generations. And, and, and again, his contribution is really 
the ability to restrain oneself to, to overcome the challenges of life. And, and this is really very central to, to Jewish life and, and to, to, to our, our perspective on, on, on the world, right? God creates us with free choice for a reason. God wants us to develop a relationship with him, but he doesn't want it to just be automatic. He doesn't want it to come for free. If, if it did, we wouldn't feel as good about it. If we don't earn it ourselves with our free will, if God just hands it over to us, hands over the relationship, you know, if God just would create souls and say, okay, come, come basking my light, have a relationship with me. So it would be great to have that relationship, but not as great as if we can earn it ourselves. There's a little bit of embarrassment there if it's free, right? Which means that there's a greater pleasure. There's something greater out there, which is if we could earn it. So God creates a world with the greatest potential to, for relationship with him. The, the, the greatest potential of pleasure that could be experienced from a relationship with God because it will be earned. We're challenged in this world. God creates us with an inclination that can pull us away. A yetzirah, evil inclination to give us the chance to earn it. And that is Yitzchak's battle. His, his battle is, is we're going to earn this. Everything is just. Everything is midas hadin, is, is the attribute of justice. I want to, I want to overcome. I want to restrain my, my inclination, overcome to be able to earn my relationship with God. And that is Yitzchak's driving force. So that could take us really now to the chapter of the blessings. So let's let's look at a few verses and then we'll try to try to break it down. So before we do the blessings, I just want to read still the end of source one and just get a sense of who was Yaakov and who was Esav and what was Yitzchak's relationship with them. So in verse 27, still in, in this first source, chapter 25, it says after Yaakov and Esav are born, so it says, and the youths grew up, and Esav was a man who understood hunting, a man of the field, whereas Jacob was an innocent man dwelling in tents. Now, what does it mean, an innocent man? So the Hebrew word is tam. Tam is not the easiest word to translate. Um, so, in, for example, on, at the Seder, we use tam to describe the simple son. The, the, the simple son, he asks a very simple question. That's the, the tam. We also have a word like tamim, which means like perfect, unblemished. So there's something about tam, which is perfection, but simplicity, which are very connected, actually. The idea is that it's through and through the same, consistent, simple, perfect. That all these things mean that something is, is, is true through and through. So that's what Rashi actually interprets here. What does he mean he was an innocent man? Really, what does it mean he was a tam? It means he was not an expert in all these naggers, meaning Asaph was a little tricky. He wasn't tricky. Like his heart, so was his mouth. A person who was not astute at deceiving is called Tom, innocent. So already at the beginning of, this is interesting. It's important for when we talk more about Yaakov. We're not focusing on him now, but it'll be important to know that, at the, that early on in his life, we're saying he's not astute. He doesn't, he doesn't know how to deceive. It's not, it's not where his talents lie. He's Tom, he's simple, he's innocent. But also, he is someone who's like his heart, so was his mouth. Meaning what you see on the outside, what you experience 
is who he is. And so if you see righteousness, which he was, he was righteous through and through. If you see him performing act, good, good deeds, so they're, they're, it's righteousness. through. It's not just a show. It's righteousness through and through, which means he's doing it for the sake of having. He's doing it for the right reasons. He's not just putting on a show. He's a Tom. He's, 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 he's simple. He's perfect. He's consistent through and through, inside and outside. That's Yaakov. Esav is not like that. Esav is, is a trick, trickster. Um, and I think we see that in, in a previous verse, which I didn't include, but also in the next verse, 28, it says, and Isaac loved Esav because his game was in his mouth, but Rebekah loved Jacob. So Esav was a hunter and he fed Yitzchak. So that's the simple reading of the verse that he fed him and therefore Isaac loved him. Rashi says, as the Targum renders into Isaac's mouth, that he, he fed him. However, the Midrash, the Midrashic interpretation is with Esav's mouth, he would, for he would entrap him and deceive him with his words. Because the, the, the Hebrew here is that it says that Yitzchak loved Esav because Sayyid Bifiv, there was trapping in his mouth, which could mean he loved him because the trapping was in Yitzchak's mouth, meaning Esav fed Yitzchak lots of trapped meat, some good food, or it could mean that Yitzchak loved Esav because Esav entrapped him with his mouth, that he tricked him. He made himself look good when he wasn't really as good. And that's going to be important because that's Esav. While Yaakov is true through and through, what you see on the outside is what's on the inside. Esav wasn't like that. Esav, you saw, what you saw on the outside was not really what was on the inside. He was putting on a show for his father. He would ask him things. He would make it seem like he was, he was a, you know, God-fearing, <laughs> but that wasn't the case. He was rotten inside. So those are, that's our introduction to Yaakov and Esav. Now we fast forward to the later in their lives, and Yitzchak is now an old man, and Yitzchak wants to bless his, his elder son, the, the firstborn. Now he doesn't know that Yaakov, his younger son, has purchased the firstborn rights from the, the older brother, Esav, and that really Yaakov now is entitled to the main blessing from his father. Yitzchak doesn't know this, so he's planning to bless Esav, but he wants to be in you know, good spirited for the blessing to be the most effective. So he asks Esav to go out and bring him back some food so that he can bless him in good spirits. So meanwhile, Yitzchak's wife, Rivka, Rebecca, hears about this, and she knows she knows that really Yaakov deserves the blessing and should get the blessing. She knows exactly who they are, Yaakov and Esav, and, and maybe also she had a divine inspiration, like a prophecy that she should involve herself, and she sends Yaakov to get the blessing to trick his father. So she dresses him up in Esav's clothes, and now Yaakov comes in dressed up as Esav to Yitzchak. And that's where we pick up here, source two. So it says, and he came to his father and said, my father, and he said, here I am. Who are you, my son? And Jacob said to his father, I am Esav, your firstborn. I have done as you have spoken to me. Please rise, sit down and eat of my games that your soul will bless me. So again, our focus tonight is not on Yaakov and his deception 
be a topic for another time. We want to focus really on Yitzchak and what's it, what's his thinking throughout this uh, this this process here. So we skip a verse. We go to twenty one. Isaac said to Jacob, "Please come closer so that I may feel you, my son, whether you are really my son Esav or not." So he has suspicions, really, because of the way that Yaakov responded very respectfully. He has suspicions that it's not Esav, it's Yaakov. He says, let me feel you. So Jacob drew near to Isaac, his father, and he felt him. And he said, the voice is the voice of Jacob, but the hands are the hands of Esav. Like I said, the way he spoke sounded like Yaakov, but the, he felt him and he was hairy. He was wearing this, this, this goat fur. And he said, the, the, you feel like the hands are the hands of Esav. You feel like Esav. And then it says that he did not recognize him because his hands were hairy like the hands of his brother Esav, and he blessed him. So here already it says that he blessed him, although we don't actually see him bless him yet. Um, and then if we fast forward, we're not going to look at the Midrash yet. If we fast forward to verse 26, it says, And his father Isaac said to him, Please come closer to ki and kiss me, my son. And he came closer and he kissed him, and he smelled the fragrant fragrance of his garments. So Yitzchak smells the garments. And he blessed him. So again, it says, and he blessed him. And here we're actually going to see the blessing. And he said, see, the fragrance of my son is like the fragrance of a field, which the Lord has blessed. So it smells really good. Okay. And let's, again, we're going to skip the commentary and go to 28. And it says, and may the Lord give you, so here's the blessing. May the Lord give you of the dew of the heavens and of the fatness of the earth and an abundance of grain and wine. So he blesses him with great wealth. Nation shall serve you and kingdom shall bow down to you. You shall be a master over your brothers and your mother's son shall bow down to you. Those who curse you shall be cursed and those who bless you shall be blessed. So he blesses, Yitzchak blesses Yaakov with wealth and with power and that, uh, that those who curse you shall be cursed and those who bless you shall be blessed. So he should be blessed in general. So that's the, that's the story of, uh, of the blessings. So. Of course, we can go a lot, a lot deeper into this. So we're going to try to do that a little bit based on Rav Dessler's uh, teachings. So, <clears throat> so he asks a number of questions. Um, a basic question is, what was you know? How did Yitzchak miss the boat? Like, why did Yitzchak? think that Esav was righteous. Yitzchak was a prophet. Yitzchak was a tzaddik. He was very righteous. He was very wise, certainly. What did he think? Who did he think Esav was? Didn't he realize that Yaakov was so much greater? Why did he, why did he want to give Esav the blessing over Yaakov? That's question number one. Question number two, if, if God wants Yaakov to receive the blessing, why does he arrange it in such a strange manner that he that Yaakov has to get it through the subterfuge through pretending to be Esav what purpose does that serve why did it have to happen in this manner why couldn't you know it just happen more straight up straightforward what was the what what was the purpose of this what was the benefit of it happening in this way so so the truth is that the, uh, the first question, you know, how could Yaakov have not realized, how could Yitzchak have not realized that Esav 
was so was so wicked is actually posed by the Zohar. And uh, and the Zohar says that the reason why he didn't realize was because God held him back. God didn't want him to realize. From the heavens, God clouded his, his vision, clouded his understanding, specifically so that when he gave Yaakov the, the that he would end up giving Yaakov the blessing against his plan. So the, 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 the one question kind of actually leads into the next, but, but, but we pose two questions. Why didn't, Yaakov, why didn't Yitzhak realize that Esau was evil? And why did the blessing have to come about through this, this uh, you know, roundabout way for Yaakov? And the Zohar says the answer to the first question is for the second question, really. The reason why the reason why God, the reason why Yitzchak didn't realize that, that, that Esav was evil was because God didn't want him to. And why didn't God want him to? Because he wanted Yitzchak to try to give Esav the blessing and end up giving it to Yaakov. So, there was, so, so what we, we can glean from this is that there was something about what Yitzchak was going to bless Esav with that we, that God specifically wanted that blessing to transfer to Yaakov. It's almost as if Yitzchak wouldn't have given Yaakov this blessing had he known from the start that it was Yaakov. And now, but now that he at least thought it was Esav, now he's, he's willing to give him that blessing. And the question is, what is it? What, what is it about this blessing? What's the, what's the key to this blessing? You know, is it, is it just what we see at face value, wealth, power, and, and that's it? Or is there maybe something more meaningful? I mean, those things are important, but, uh, but, but what do they have to do with, with who we are and, and as a people and, and the, the struggles of our life and the struggle of, of, a, of a Jew? What, what was this blessing, which was not just for Yaakov himself, but for, for, for all future generations? <clears throat> So, so we have to understand that when we, 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 when somebody wants to bless someone or pray for them, so we actually talked about this in our Tefillah series, in our series on, on prayer. Can you pray for somebody's spiritual welfare? And, uh, and there we took the approach that in general, you can. Um, Rav Dessler says that, that you can, but only in a certain way. Meaning he says, we can't affect somebody's free will, somebody else's free will with our prayer. We can't pray to God that someone, you know, that so-and-so change their ways and, and that God should, you know, alter their free will so that they, they change. That doesn't work, says Rav Dessler. Everybody is entitled to free will, it's with that free will that we earn our connection with God. We will earn our share in the world to come. It's, we, can't, we can't alter that for somebody else. But what we could do is we can alter, we can pray for the environment to change, the setting. As we said, you know, people are easily influenced. People can be influenced by their surroundings. People can be influenced by their experiences, by their challenges. And that we do have the ability to, to affect. So if, if somebody would pray for somebody else's spiritual well-being, then they, they can't 
pray that God change that person's heart, but they could pray that that person meet someone who's going to inspire them or watch a certain YouTube video, attend a class that one's right. That that's possible that one can one can pray for. Now, <clears throat> now when a person receives good in this world from, from God, there's there's different ways, I guess, that we can we can look at it. So a person's extremely righteous. So let's take Yaakov for a second. So we described Yaakov as somebody who was righteous through and through. He was not only good on the outside, but good on the inside. He was completely acting for the sake of heaven. His deeds were, were true and consistent. And, uh, and, and he was Tom. He was perfect. He was, he was somebody who was consistent through and through and was always acting for the sake of heaven. So, so such a person, if God rewards them with good in this world, what is that? What is that good? So it's not their reward for their actions because the reward for our actions are in the world to come. What it is, is that it can help a person do more good. So God says, okay, you're doing good in this world. I want you to keep doing good. We have an idea of mitzvah, gereres mitzvah. One mitzvah leads to the other. God helps us. We do one mitzvah. God will reward us and sort of set us up for success and help us do more good. We say in the Shema prayer, in the second paragraph, we say, it will be if you listen to the commandments, then God will shower you with rain, etc." So there are situations where, where God rewards us for good deeds in this world, not just in the world to come, but the, the idea behind it is to set us up for, for future success. Um, now, what if somebody is not that perfect Yaakov? They, they, we, the person hasn't fully developed themselves inside, let's say. Not everything is L'shem Shamayim for the sake of heaven. But they, uh, but they do good deeds here and there. So such a person, they, they need good, not just you know, to get them to the next good deed, but really to, to support them, to support them along the way. They need help, basically, to, to try to reach that internalizing it as well, to, to be able to assimilate it, to become good inside as well. The good is for them to help them develop and so that they can reach perfection, which they haven't yet reached. So it's not just to, to get them to the next mitzvah, but they're still developing. Once somebody has perfected themselves, the only need for good is really to be able to do more good, but not really to develop themselves. A person who is still developing themselves. So when we, if we're showered with blessing, that can help us provide us with what we need to be able to, to further develop ourselves. But then there's a third category, which is someone who is so rotten to the core that there's 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 no help there's no helping them, and uh, and such a person might here and there do a good deed by accident, you know, and is deserving of reward, and they might get that reward, but it's just going to be in this world because they haven't really developed a relationship with God to earn themselves a reward in the world to come. They'll get the reward here, and. And it's to their detriment, really, but they've never earned themselves a place in the world to come. So there's three levels that we're describing. There's the Yaakov level, that uh, somebody who's good through and through, they've developed themselves, they've perfected themselves inside and out. And 
they are going to receive tremendous reward in the world to come. They're going to have a great relationship with God. And any reward that they receive here is really just to, to get them to the next mitzvah. Somebody who is still developing themselves, if they, if they are being rewarded for their actions, it's to help them along. They're still developing. They need that help. They need that, that assistance. They're not there yet. And then there's the last category where somebody who is just, they, there's no, what, what Rav Desser says, there's no spark left of anything and, uh, and no hope for them. And that person, there's no need for, uh, there's no need for, for, for reward in the, war to, in the world to come. They'll get the reward here. Okay, I know this is complicated, but we're going to bring it all together. So, so, so who is Yitzchak? Yitzchak is somebody who believes in pure justice. Pure justice. He believes in God's justice. And, and he believes that, 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 like we described, God puts us in this world to test us. If we overcome those tests, we have the opportunity to earn the greatest reward, the greatest connection with God. So he looks at somebody who is a fully developed tzaddik, very righteous through and through. And he says, any help that we give this person, any reward is actually to their detriment. Now there's an idea that God really wanted to create the world with justice, but he saw that the world couldn't exist on strict justice. So he added, um, he added mercy as well. The idea is that bottom line is that if, if <clears throat> the, in, in the most strict world, that's the world of the greatest opportunity because God is, is everything that we would do would be earned. We wouldn't get anything unearned. By definition, mercy is unearned. So in a world of strict justice would really provide the greatest potential for the closest, you know, for closeness to God, for, for earning the greatest reward from God. But we, you know, God saw it, said the world can't really function like that. We we're, nobody would, would, would make it. We need that. We need that mercy. We can't live on completely strict justice. But, but, but that was the way that Yitzchak looked at the world. And he looked at, at, at somebody like Yaakov, who was fully developed, and he said, any blessing that this person will receive, it's not good for them. The greater the test, the more challenges he faces, the better for him. The more he can develop. He, he doesn't need to, to develop himself anymore. He's already perfected himself through and through. So. So he doesn't need my help. He doesn't need a blessing to help him. In fact, any blessing that he has maybe is, is, is to his detriment because he has the opportunity to be tested and to overcome and, and to be dealt with in the strictest way and still make it and make it to the top and earn himself the greatest relationship with God, the closest relationship with God as somebody who made it through on the, on the strictest terms. So to Yitz, in Yitzchak's worldview of strict justice, it's, it's a detriment to, to Yaakov to give him a blessing like this. Esav, on the other hand, he knows, he knows who Esav is, or he thinks he does. You know who he thinks Esav is? He thinks Esav is that level two. He thinks Esav is somebody who, he, you know, he has some good deeds. They're not necessarily for the right reasons. He's still developing himself inside. He's still working on himself. He needs some help. He needs a blessing. He needs blessing to develop himself. He needs to have the right environment, 
the right uh, comfort level. He can't have so much challenge. That's going to take him down. He's not going to be able to overcome that. So Yitzchuk wants to give Esav a blessing. And really, Yitzchuk sees a little bit of himself in Esav. It, you know, Yaakov conquers the world. He conquers the Yetzirah. He conquers the evil inclination. He perfects himself through and through. Esav is struggling. Esav has to struggle constantly. Esav actually is, is born with, with, it seems, you know, some, some already very bad attributes. He, the, the Midrash says that when his mother would pass by a house of idolatry, he would kick to get out. So he's already born with, with, with this. But it's not to say that he can't overcome. Just as God tests him with these negative attributes, God, in, God instills him with tremendous givura, might, restraint. He doesn't use it properly. He doesn't channel that might properly. But he could have. He could have, but he didn't. But, he, but Yitzchak sees a little bit of himself in Esav, somebody who, who fights the Yitzhahara, somebody who, who needs to exercise restraint. And therefore Yitzchak is, wants to help him. And he's constantly trying to help him. And that is, by the way, says Rav Dessler, why he loved him so much. Because when we give to someone, when we're constantly giving to someone, we develop a love for them. Yaakov, he didn't have to constantly give to. Yaakov was okay on his own. But Esav needed his father. And so Yitzchak is always giving to him. And that's why he developed such a love. That's why the verse says that Isaac loved Esav. Because, because he was constantly giving to him. Um, <clears throat> now... Now, he, he thought he thought that this is who Esav was. He thought that Esav was that middle level, somebody who could take that blessing and maybe use it to, to improve himself. But actually, that was a misjudgment of Esav. Esav was actually that third level. Esav was that third level, the one who's rotten through and through and who, who, who has lost that spark, has lost the, the potential to... Uh, <clears throat> To, to develop. It's not going to help him anymore to, to give him a little bit of blessing, to give him a little bit of wealth, to give him a little bit of comfort and to take away the challenges. It's not going to help him at this point. He has, there, there's no hope left for, for Esav. And so Yitzchak is actually mistaken in this point, but, that, but this is why, this is why, this is who we thought Esav was. So it's not that he missed the boat completely. He, he realized that Esav wasn't so great. He realized that Esav wasn't so consistent through and through. But he thought that there was still a spark of something there that could be, that could be developed. And so he wanted to give him a blessing to help him develop that. But he was mistaken in that regard. Now, now Yaakov, on the other hand, it's Yitzchak's belief that Yaakov doesn't need a blessing. It's not going to help him. It will make him worse. He, right now, he's, he's got it. He's earning his reward under strict justice terms to give him mercy, to give him blessing. He's just going to take away from that. So that's why he doesn't plan to give Yaakov a blessing. But what happens is God says, no, no, Yaakov needs a blessing. Yaakov needs a blessing. And, and Yitzchak is going to give it to him. And he's not even going to realize it until the very end, what he's doing. But that's where he's going to be tested. So just to, to wrap it up, because we're, see, it's getting late. So, so if we go back to our source sheet, so 
we have to understand something for a moment, which is that Yitzchak was tremendously attuned to the spiritual. He could, you know, somebody comes into the room, he's not just seeing, and he was barely seeing, he was blind. He's, he's not just, he, he's sensing their, who they are spiritually. He's experiencing prophecy about the person, about their offspring, etc. So, so Yaakov comes into the room and you look at verse 23. So it says, he did not recognize him because his hands were hairy like the hands of his brother Asaph, and he blessed him. The Midrash comments in the Yaakut Shimoni, he did not recognize him when there were wicked people that would come from him. He didn't recognize him. Sorry, actually, if we go back one verse first into verse 22. First, he says, the voice is the voice of Jacob. So he, Yaakov comes in and he... And Yitzchak senses the, the spirituality, senses the holiness. He says, this, I think this is Yaakov. The voice is the voice of Yaakov. I see holiness here. But then he feels him, and, he, and it says he did not recognize him. And it says he sensed that there were going to be wicked people that would come from him. And he says, this doesn't seem like Yaakov, that there would be wicked people that would come from him. Of course, there were, you know, we... Plenty of plenty of wicked people in our history from within the Jewish people, but but Yitzchak said maybe this maybe this isn't Yaakov. He wasn't sure. He was going back and forth. It says he came closer in verse uh, twenty-seven, and he kissed him and he smelled the fragrance of his garments. So the the midrash on those words. So so in the Hebrew it says he he smelled the fragrance of bigadav. Bigadav are his garments. So in the Hebrew. Bigadav is related to the word bogdav, which means rebel. There is a connection between garments and rebellion, of course, because Adam and Eve get their first garments after they rebel. But uh, but uh, so so it says that he smelled he smelled bogdav, his rebellious ones. Again, the midrash comments that he he, he sensed rebellious ones who would descend from him. So whoever this was that was standing before him. He saw wickedness in the future. He could sense that with prophecy. He still didn't know who it was. And because this actually he thought it was maybe Asaph, because he sensed that he saw that wickedness that was to come from him. And so he's ready to give. And because of that, it says in each of these verses, and he blessed him. And he was ready to bless him because it was Asaph. And that fits into his worldview to give Asaph a blessing because Asaph needs it. Because the Asaph needs that help. He needs the blessing. But then if we go on that same verse, it says, and he said, see the fragrance of my son is like the fragrance of a field, which the Lord has blessed. What did he smell? What did he smell at this point? So Rashi says, and he smelled, it is not that there is no odor more offensive than that of washed goat skins. Asaph was wearing, uh, Yaakov was wearing goat skins. Isn't that, how did that smell good? But this teaches us that the fragrance of the Garden of Eden entered with him. He smelled Gan Eden. He smelled the Garden of Eden. Yitzchak smelled holiness. And suddenly he, he realized, again, he's not sure who this is, but he senses holiness here. He senses holiness. He senses maybe somebody of a higher spiritual plane. And at this point, he's left with the choice. Do I, do I give the blessing still? Or do I hold back? Because it goes against my worldview. I don't think somebody on that holy plane should get a blessing. Somebody like that should deal with strict justice. 
it's to their detriment to get a blessing. And at that point, he's, he smells this. He has this, it's like a little bit of a hint, but it goes against what he believes and he struggles. And it says that he said, see the fragrance of my son. And the Ibn Ezra, the commentary says he spoke to himself. When he said, see, he's talking to himself. He's like uh, giving himself a pep talk. He's struggling. He's pushing himself. And ultimately, he gives the blessing. So if Dessler says that was the test right there, what would he do as soon as when he sensed that, when God hinted to him that this, that this person standing before him maybe was actually much more holier than, than he originally thought? Maybe this person was that person who was good through and through. That in Yitzhak's worldview of strict justice, that's the, you know, the best thing is for that person to struggle. They should struggle. They should fight. They should have to overcome because that will earn them the ultimate reward. The most, that's the most just. <clears throat> but God's hinting to him that, you know, Yitzhak, not everybody can do that. And maybe that's not what's best. Even when, God, like I said, when God created the world, God said, no, we're going we're gonna to have mercy as well. And so God gives Yaakov the bless, sorry, Yitzhak gives Yaakov the blessing despite this going against what he believed. Again, he wasn't sure it was Yaakov, but he still sensed that this person was, was, was on this, this level and he still gives him the blessing. And, that's, and that blessing carries on to all future generations. So this blessing, and, and I should just add one more point, which is that the, a blessing carries more weight the reason why Yitzchak's blessing, the reason why it had to happen this way is because when somebody gives a blessing, just like a prayer, the, 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 the strength of it is, says Rav Dessler, in that it, it is in the merit of, of the person who gives the blessing, growing from it, developing from it, gaining a greater sense of, of God's control over the world. That's, what, that's, that, that's where the success of a prayer lies. That's where the success of a blessing lies. So because with this blessing, Yitzchak had to be challenged, that adds strength to the blessing. And that's why it had to play out this way. He had to be challenged as he gave the blessing in order that the blessing would have greater force and greater power. And so Yitzchak gives that blessing so that in future generations, everybody will have, is blessed with that, with that divine assistance. Not only somebody who is struggling, who, who, you know, really needs the help to, uh, at spiritual development, but even somebody who's a little bit, you know, further along like Yaakov, but still we don't want to hang them out to dry and say, okay, struggle, overcome, you know, you can do it. You'll earn more reward that way, which was how Yitzchak looked at the world, but God was hinting to him here and Yitzchak was, you know, he went with it and he overcame himself and, uh, and gave that blessing even for even going against his worldview, even for, for somebody as righteous as Yaakov, that, that even the righteous would have assistance, would have a blessing of assistance in, uh, in future generations. So this, is, this was, uh, this was Yitzchak's, uh, Yitzchak's great test in his, in his attribute. And again, what, the, what, what it all comes down to is these, these, these two and then a third worldview perspective of what drives us, what, and, and this is true for everybody. You know, some people are very focused on, on, on kindness, on acts of kindness and, and giving, and we want to give and we want everybody to have. And, uh, 
And sometimes it could be a little bit unrestrained. And sometimes it could be to the detriment of, of others. And it's about knowing how to channel it. And then some people are very restrained and strict justice and everything has to be deserving and, and you have to earn everything. And if you didn't earn it, you don't get it. And that you know, can also be a proper worldview, again, when channeled correctly and with, with, with that mercy and that kindness mixed in. And it's all about synthesizing them to find, to find the, the, the golden mean, to find the right way of bringing these things together. And that's really who, who, where, where Yaakov comes in as the, the third, the third uh, generation of the forefathers where he's going to excel in Torah and in MS in truth. And hopefully we'll try to bring it all together when we, when we talk about Yaakov. Okay, I'm sorry for taking us a little bit over time here. Um, I hope that wasn't too deep, but uh, I hope it, would, it, it, it enlightened us to, to deep perspective on, uh, on this passage. <clears throat> all right. I have a question. What, uh, what Yitzhak said to, when 